Team time. Sports around the world. Team time, what's up? It's time for your Sports Around the World update with me, Ben Cullen. We start this week with the sporting news that no one in Hong Kong wanted to hear, but also we kind of expected. This year's Hong Kong Sevens has been cancelled. No, don't say it. The event was initially supposed to take place early in April, but the coronavirus uncertainty at the time resulted in the event being pushed back to October. On Tuesday afternoon, World Rugby announced that it would cancel all remaining tournaments for the 2020 season. This follows the unstable coronavirus situation worldwide. The remaining tournaments were London, Paris, Hong Kong and Singapore. This ends the incredible 44-year run of the Hong Kong Sevens, which even went ahead during the 2003 SARS outbreak. Hong Kong Rugby CEO Robbie McRobbie said, We are of course disappointed not to be hosting the world-famous Hong Kong Sevens for the first time in 45 years, but we understand the extraordinary circumstances surrounding today's cancellation of the remainder of the series. The cancellation of the remaining rounds has resulted in New Zealand being crowned champions of the Seven Series in both men's and women's. The All Blacks won three of six men's rounds and the Black Ferns won four of the five completed women's rounds. Liverpool's 30-year wait for a top-flight title and first Premier League crown is over. The Reds were confirmed as Premier League champions without kicking a ball last week. Manchester City's 2-1 defeat at Chelsea meant they could no longer be caught. But there is still more to fight for despite taking gold early. They're on course for a record-breaking domestic season. Can they become the second team to amass over 100 points in the Premier League? Congratulations to Liverpool and Jurgen Klopp. You have the whole city bouncing. Moving on to La Liga Barcelona led twice during their fixture with Atletico Madrid on Tuesday evening But after conceding two penalties, it ended a two-all draw at the Nou Camp The penalties meant two costly points went begging in a gripping encounter But the story of the evening revolves around their star player, Lionel Messi Messi joined football's illustrious and very exclusive group when he netted his 700th goal it took the Argentinian 862 games to reach the milestone, which is 111 games fewer than his great rival, Cristiano Ronaldo. Messi is the second highest active goal scorer in the world. But who has scored the most goals of all time? The Brazilian legend Pelé. He scored a mind-boggling 1,279 goals. How? Seven months on from the finale of the 2019 season, Formula One cars will finally return to racing this weekend at the Red Bull Ring in Austria. The return comes 16 weeks on from F1's decision to abort the original season opener in Australia. The nature of the 2020 season will clearly be different to what was originally expected back at the start of the year. A few differences include a shortened but condensed calendar, and it will also be the first time teams will race at the same track on consecutive weekends. But I will stop there as we're very excited to welcome a Formula One expert into the studio today. Matthew Marsh is a former racing driver who represented Hong Kong internationally for many years and is now a presenter on Fox Sports Asia coverage of Formula One. Welcome to RTHK, Matthew. Thank you for giving us your time today. Great to be here. We are very excited to have you. Before we get into all things Formula One, can you give the listeners a rundown of your racing career up to your current day role as an analyst in Formula One? Yeah, well, I'll try and keep that short. I think there are three strands to my career in motorsport which sort of have tied together and if you look at it from now it looks like it was logical and well planned but it wasn't it's just that's how life sometimes if you're lucky comes together and the, and the three strands are being a driver 
working on the commercial side of the sport, as I continue to do now, and working in the media as a broadcaster and journalist. And the, the driving started, you know, I tried it at age 17, wasn't particularly good, which is an understatement. And, and then I came back 10 years later um, for version two, and I guess I'd grown up, there's many reasons why, but I was actually quite good at it, and then had this ambition to race at the Le Mans 24 Hours, which is a famous sports car race that I had visited in 1987, um, I started racing again in 1997, and I raced there in 2007. That's quite quite nice sevens, um, and th that was the racing part. And uh, I think a lot of it was about breaking the problem down into component parts, so that my lack of talent was only 10% of the problem. And being fitter, and being well prepared, and having more budget to spend, and and so on, allowed me to to sort of achieve some objectives. And the commercial side was was when I wasn't very good age 17 and stopped I got into the commercial side of the business which means helping manage sponsorship for racing teams and then when I was racing I needed to find sponsorship it's a very capital intensive sport and then when I had stopped racing again in 2010 I I was going to continue finding money but no longer wasting it on myself myself but providing it to teams and I joined an agency uh, which was the biggest and best agency of its kind which is focused exclusively on motorsport and I worked for them for eight years worked for a guy called Zach Brown He's very well known in the business, who now runs the McLaren Formula One team. And then uh, when he left to go to McLaren, I left to go back to being self-employed. And that's what I do day to day now is bring brands into motorsport. A long history there. Yeah. And then the, and then the broadcasting part, which is what I have been doing since 1994, started because I was passionate about the sport, wanted to talk about it. As you can tell, I'm quite comfortable doing that, wanted to write about it and done various things. And I was in Hong Kong, got here in 1990, 1993, Star TV started broadcasting all the Formula One races. There was one guy alone in the studio, which you guys know what that feels like, a guy called Jonathan Green. And I rang him up one day and I said, looks like you need someone to join you. He was probably quite startled and said, well, let's get together for a curry first. We became firm friends and the following year, I joined him as a studio guest. This is 1994 and it's been pretty much fun uh, with those guys ever since. Very good. I must touch on that you went for a curry, not a coffee. No, actually, I think it's probably went for a beer, but I was just changing that slightly to Got it. fit the current times. Got it. Well, we're very excited that Formula One is returning this weekend. Can you give us a rundown of how the competition will look this year round? Yeah, so what we know right now is that there are eight races confirmed. So when we came into 2020, there were 22 races on the schedule. Obviously, that all went out the window when the pandemic broke. Yeah, of course. Um, so we have now eight races confirmed over the next 10 weekends. So it's going to be really exciting and very much compressed. There are going to be three races in a row, a break of a week, three races in a row, a break of a week, two races. And we're also going to see two races at a track for the first time ever in a season, which is that we're going to go to Austria this weekend, the, the same racetrack the weekend after, and then to Hungary the weekend after that, a break of a week, two races at Silverstone, the British Grand Prix and the 70th anniversary of Formula One Grand Prix. They have to have different names, of course, for the two different weekends. Yeah. And then Spain, then a break, and then Belgium, Italy. Now, we also kind of know that the end of the season will be in Bahrain and Abu Dhabi because it's pretty easy, I think, for them to contain it. And I think there are going to be two or three other races to make up to 15, which I think is what Formula One needs, commercially speaking. I understand. Which uh, destinations you just mentioned do you think is going to be the most exciting in the new format? Mm. I think that, yeah, I don't th think you can predict that. I think certainly this first Grand Prix in Austria this weekend, because everything is so different, and we don't really know who's on form. So there's a lot of uh, unknowns, which is yeah. always nice in sport. So I think certainly that. Um, 
Beyond that, I think it just depends on how it develops. But I think the f because it's so different. Formula One teams love being this. It's a, as I said, it's a technical endeavor. It's a logistical endeavor. Everything is super well organized, which is one of the reasons I love the sport. I love all that. You know, yeah. think, thinking through every possible scenario and coming up with a thousand different plans. That's yeah. What is they have? They're having to really work much more on the fly. So um, I'm certainly encouraging people to. Stay tuned on Fox Sports Asia. Good plug, good plug. Attending a Formula One Grand Prix is certainly on my list of things to do, but up until now I've only watched it on TV, and you, you can see, even from the TV, how electric it is, and the fans are a huge part of that. How do you think no fans will affect the sport? Is it going to make it difficult for the drivers? No, it won't be difficult for the drivers. There's a couple of parts here, I think. One is that when we came into the pandemic, um, I think of all the sports in the world, the one that continued operating the most, not the best, but the most, was motorsport because in the esports video game environment, it's the closest to the reality because you're still using a steering wheel and pedals and 60%, okay. 70% is kind of the same, you know, again, without the danger. But so Formula One drivers have been racing online. I mean, it's been incredibly active. It, almost every racing championship has had an online championship with many of the real drivers competing in it. So there's an enormous amount going on. Um, was there a lot of people watching that? A lot, uh, yeah, millions of people. So they had a virtual 24 hours of Le Mans, which went on for 24 hours. And wow. it was difficult, and they and, and real drivers against, uh, in the same team with professional esports competitors. And it was, you know, absolutely flat out the whole way through the night. And it was fantastic. So, and there are millions of people watching it online. So my point is that I think the sport is in a better position to adapt to having no fans. Anyway, Formula One has quite often in the past gone to venues where there weren't very many spectators. So the British Grand Prix will have 150,000 people and be sold out. And certainly the atmosphere at Silverstone in a few weeks' time will be very different. Yeah. But we've also raced in places like Turkey, which is not known for its motorsport fans. Brilliant racetrack, great event, but not that many people. You know, you could drive in and out pretty easily from the paddock. So I don't think it will suffer in that respect. And certainly from the driver's point of view, they are... You know, focus is a cliche, but they're not looking at the fans. They're yeah. looking at the track ahead of them. They're talking to their own bubble, their team. So, no, I don't think it'll have a it'll have a negative effect in that way. Part of the reason for my question was because the um, data has shown so far, particularly in the English Premier League, that home advantages sort of disappeared through the coronavirus thing. But you don't think necessarily a uh, driver going to somewhere where the fans may be more receptive to them. You just don't think that'll make a difference to them? I don't. Mm, I think if you ask Lewis Hamilton... He would say, well, that Matthew Marsh doesn't know what he's talking about anyway. That's probably <laughs> right. And he would say that when he races at Silverstone, he gets a buzz and he brings out the best in him. And, you know, formerly Nigel Mansell back in the 90s yeah. or would say, well, it was worth a second or two seconds a lap or whatever. He was a bit of an exaggerator. Understood. And it, yeah, maybe in those big pressure, big point moments, it might make a bit of a difference. But I just I think for 99% of the race weekend, they operate you know in a very tight window of focus and it won't have an effect okay we're going to ask you not to sit on the fence here Oof. most sports uh, either cancel their seasons or they chose to adapt to the coronavirus situations but something that has been universal is the sports that chose to go ahead the opinion has been divided as to whether they should have or mm. shouldn't have do you think Formula 1 should continue during the pandemic I do um, and I base that upon a sort of an understanding of the process they've gone through to make a decision. Um, 
Formula One, again, more than any other sport, I think, is very much about systems and protocols and decision-making and so on. And when it comes to running the race team in the car, they take data off the racing cars. But when it comes to organising the championship, the FIA, which is the regulator of the sport, has worked very closely with the World Health Organization. They've taken their the WHO's protocols and applied them to a 70-page document about how we're going to go motor racing in these conditions. And so the they've taken every step to reduce the risk of infection. And, and I could go into detail, but I won't bore you with that today. But yeah. the flip side of it, the tension, I suppose, to your point is there are several thousand people that work in Formula One. And then there's Formula 2 and then there's Formula 3 and other forms of motorsport. If they don't go back to work and continue the sport, how many of those people would lose their jobs? Yeah. And so that's the tension. Now, I'm glad I wasn't the one making a decision. I'm also quite pleased that Formula 1 has, it seems to me, come up with a pretty good solution that's the risks are mitigated and the upside is very exciting. Of course, yeah. Excellent. Okay, well, one more question, finally. Our listeners are teenagers largely and perhaps haven't been exposed to Formula One. What is your top reason to encourage them to start watching Formula One from this weekend when it returns? Um, the humans and the lessons, by which I mean the humans in the sport are was the key for everything. So my, I've got a nine-year-old daughter and she became interested in motorsport through watching Formula 3, much more easier to watch 20-minute races. But what she really enjoyed was seeing these characters, Lando Norris, you know, this young guy who wasn't, didn't look, he was, but he doesn't look that much older than she is. And seeing the difference in the way they approach the sport, the way that she could see the difference in the driving style, you can see a body language about a car and you get to know the characters. My wife had no interest in the sport before her daughter became involved. She's slightly jealous of that, I think. She now is a massive fan of Brilliant. Sebastian Vettel, so the humans. But there's the lessons, the things that I've learned from motorsport that I apply to business, and there's a lot of that. Again, going back to my, it's logical, it's, it's organized, it uses you know, data-led decision-making, all of these things come from motorsport. So many reasons, but mostly the humans. Fantastic. Well, everybody who's listening, go watch the Formula One this weekend, and Matthew will be there for you. Is that correct? Yeah, we're going to be doing a very pragmatic approach. We've got Paula Malayali going to be in the studio on her own in Singapore, obviously with the cameramen and the and the crew, and uh, Alex Jung in KL, myself in Hong Kong via Skype, giving uh, giving our opinions. Fantastic. Well, thank you very much for giving us your time today, and we look forward to uh, to watching the Formula One this weekend. Yeah, so do I. Awesome. Thank you.